Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Superhero Finder podcast. Now, I'm Matt Wilson, as always, scouring the cosmos and various galaxies to find Earth and beyond's unsung heroes with some motivating stories and some real knowledge bombs so you can leave this podcast with something to take away into your life. Now, I have been waiting for this one for weeks, not only because I put a post out saying it was going to be weeks ago and got the date wrong, but that's just me, but just because I've been looking forward to the topic we're going to be talking about. So before I spoil that, I want to introduce Nick Pryor. How are you doing, Nick? You okay? Hi, Matt. Yeah, real pleasure to be here today. And I, I love your work. I love what you're doing to try and get kind of ordinary people across the board to kind of talk about kind of their own super superpowers. So I hope I can demonstrate something from, from my side. I absolutely think you can. You know, it's it's something that I see in people a lot. And sometimes we feel weak. You know, sometimes we feel that we're not enough. And actually within us, there's all these powerful things that are happening. It's just that we're, on, we're in our own little bubble, whether it be emotional bubble or whatever, and we just can't see them. Um, so hopefully this is, you know, going some way to normalise some of the thought processes we go through um, and from people from all different, you know, walks of life um, to be able to give their experiences and just share some knowledge really and share some stories um now nick you've got a pretty interesting story in terms of where you've come from and kind of what you're doing now do you want to start us somewhere on that yeah yeah i'd love to i mean and i think it's important to say when i say ordinary people i mean everyone because we're all ordinary aren't we we're all living our our one life uh, hopefully our best life but um does that mean we're all extraordinary Exactly. It can, you can spin it both ways. But I think the most important thing is we're all human. Yes. Uh, but yeah, from my point of view, I mean, what I hope to bring today is, is, is kind of what I would say is a, is a relatively rare experience of being both kind of professional in the mental health space as a psychiatrist, uh, but also someone who's lived with bipolar for over a decade and been on the kind of patient side. And, and my real passion is about kind of the added value and, of that lived experience and how Sadly, in our society at the moment, we don't seem to allow people to, to use that experience and, um, and kind of and, and how that's motivated me to, to not only think about my patients, but also to think about how can we stop these patients having to turn up in the first place? Yeah. And how can we create a more scalable and kind of engaging product than the NHS can provide right now? So I also have helped create and um, create a library of mental fitness ideas that helps people um via an app kind of discover their own wellness routine that's incredible um not only you mentioned you know kind of what fuels your story and what kind of created that as well but the actual the the, the desire to scale that like you said scale it and, and get it out and get it as accessible as you know to many people because the nhs is brilliant you know we know the nhs is brilliant but it's still it's never going to be able to by design do as much as is possible and this is where we need entrepreneurs like yourself um and i could like podcasts like this just to you know to keep spreading that stuff far and wide isn't it did you one question for me Nick, did you were you diagnosed were you aware of the bipolar before you got into kind of psychiatry or yeah i mean it's a very good question and i think sadly most people who become doctors or professional healthcare professionals whether nurses or healthcare assistants or um physios or whatever it is generally you're kind of on a pathway from kind of GCSEs kind of to further education and you're 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 being pushed down that channel for for probably not necessarily the right reasons it might be kind of family pressure 
Yeah. It might be kind of expectations of having a secure job or um, what you saw in terms of casualty or things on TV. Yeah. Um, I was very fortunate. I think for me, I'm, I'm always very open about the fact that I'm of a very supportive and kind of, kind of family from both the kind of emotional and socioeconomic point of view. And I was able to, with that support, um, actually make that decision much later. So I only really decided to go back into the healthcare profession when I was in my early 20s, kind of to mid 20s. And um, for me, that's actually given me much more purpose. And it's meant that my decision making and the kind of the narrative behind my story is, is often I find stronger and more authentic than some of my peers. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about the word empathy. Um, and obviously the great thing about empathy is, is it's about putting yourself in someone else's shoes. So yeah. it's not saying I've been there, I've done that, I know exactly what that means. It's about saying I've been somewhere near that but, and I can go with you that extra yeah. step. But I do think it makes it much easier when you have been kind of closer to those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I can I can understand that. And you're right, it's that idea of and you know, we we've I'm sure we've all had people that have tried to be tried to show empathy and said, you know, I know exactly how you feel. Because the the want is there to help and the want is there to to normal, I suppose, normalize that and say, I understand. But it's an important um distinction to make, isn't it? Whereas what's more effective and actually what's more true is. I can try to understand this is my experience it's I think it's close to but let me in and you know let me let me kind of come along with you on that isn't it yeah and I think it it's often feels quite condescending or kind of um yeah. it doesn't quite hit the right chord if you if you go that direct kind of I know I know exactly I know exactly where you've been and stuff um I think it's important to validate every individual's experience but it's the ability that emotional intelligence and of, of, and I think that's what, you know, if I think about my experience of bipolar, um, it's often quite difficult because my, when I, my mood is it, so closely aligned to your behavior and your personality and your character. Yeah. And also just by the nat very nature of kind of the way in which our memory works also, you, you notice that often with patients and certainly with myself that the recollection of what it it's amazing how we move forward and it's an amazing human trait to be able to actually let go and 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 kind of move forward so i sit here today not having been kind of severely depressed for over four years wow. and it feels um very different to how i would have talked about my depression a few years ago because i'm that much more removed from it i can talk more confidently about it and i can probably be more potentially um inspirational or talk about that but it doesn't the only reason I can do that is because I feel that safety net of it being quite a long way away from me right now yeah so I suppose the longer the longer ago it is it becomes obviously daily it's it's an increasing gap isn't it and then there's almost that sense of well this is a longer norm now so it's that mm -hmm. expectation of what's to come and then you know you can remove yourself a little bit from that can't you um just when you said about what was really interesting, I think, what you opened with when you said about some of your peers in, you know, in, in medicine and when you went into that, um, at what would be a later age than most of your, uh, most of the people that you trained with, um, and that sense of purpose as well. Um, when you made that decision to, to kind of go into that, what was the thought process behind 
going in, you know, changing career or? Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was um, relatively simple at, um, at its foundation. It was, I, I, like I said, it comes a bit back to this memory of one's own crises and one's own problems mm-hmm. and mental illness. But for me, the residue of it did remain. And I, and I, I did, and I think I also had the reflection of my, my mother has bipolar as well. And um, my grandmother committed suicide. Mental health had seeped into my family history and uh, my experience beyond just my own illness so that kind of kept it quite alive and I think it it just became very I hate the word calling but it just felt very obvious to me that 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 this was somewhere that I could make a difference and um and I think it is very simply just I would love I mean I say it that it's not quite I mean this is trying to put it into numbers but it's Mm. kind of more it's like if I can live a life where I've prevented one person from having to have been to the depths of despair that I've yeah. been to when I'm depressed, that would have been a good life. You know? So that that's just, it's, it's, it sounds quite cliche, but that is genuinely <laughs> the, the motivation. Um, and I also think I was fortunate also with my experience of bipolar that often coming out of the low, I would go into a kind of what I professionally would term a hypermanic episode. Mm-hmm where you're a little bit up, you're not truly up, where you're manic, but you're in, in the middle. And that actually means you often springboard quite quickly out of a really bad episode to actually being very motivated, very energized, and kind of very kind of able to get, get stuff done. And, and that's often meant that I acted on those emotions quite quickly. So I know, I know of a couple of people who you know, have been diagnosed with bipolar and they're at various parts of that journey as well. And when you, when you talk about that kind of, that switch around to being, you know, that, that kind of motivation and that, that high level, at any point has that felt like, so an interesting question for me, I think, because I've felt similar and I'm not saying, you know, I'm on a similar journey or anything, but it just sparked a thought there. Is there any part of that process that makes you think, well, actually, that motivation is, well, I'm okay now. Because we can feel, you know, we can feel motivated and, and not necessarily, you know, have have something there that's amazing. Yeah, I think it's extremely difficult to, um, and there's no perfect way of analysing oneself or, mm. or um, getting the right kind of feedback. There are lots of great kind of tools out there, which um, which we're, we're trying to do some work on at the moment. But, you know, things like, for me, moodscope.com was a great, kind of first digital solution that helped me it allows you to very quickly within 30 seconds kind of get a scale uh, answer a few objective questions about your mood and then if it goes above or beyond certain perimeters then one of an assigned buddy gets sent an email saying uh nick's gone you know and and, and a buddy would normally be a a close friend a family member or or a member of the community so those type of things are really useful Mm. um i think the the other important thing is, is that, you know, the illness itself, you know, skews your perception of the world. So uh, I do think the, what, what can actually be really difficult with what you're saying, where you're actually having qualities that in many ways are actually quite valuable in society, even for people whose mood is, is in the kind of center ground, things like being motivated, enthusiastic, passionate. Um, it can be really difficult to, to, to actually kind of, for me, it's been very difficult to notice kind of the negative sides of, 
of the kind of hypermania so, and and mm. and to kind of separate kind of and yeah i think it's still a, a battle every time i go up a bit is to kind of i'm having that kind of internal thought process a lot of the time it's like where, where am i right now do i need to change my medication do i need to slow things down do i need, but it's just putting in these feedback loops and trying to identify things early that's, that's so important yeah definitely and, and just trying to i suppose get to know like we get to know our own bodies it's trying to get to know your own mind and what's expected you know what changes are expected and what changes yeah and i think from a psychiatric point of view from a more kind of mental health point of view it's, it's mm. often you know when you look at the dsm or the icd these massive criteria that are used to kind of um diagnose people with the kind of library of different illnesses that exist within mental health it's it's often you know what we find is yeah, those libraries have been created because of whether whether these presentations have problems or not. So, you know, we'll often, and that is actually, it's not necessarily the best way of diagnosing, but it's a useful criteria to think, well, mm. are my, is my motivation energy actually meaning that I'm not listening to my wife or I'm being rude to my parents or, or I'm actually getting in trouble at work? And when it's, once it becomes a problem in terms of the longer term goals for yourself in terms of relationships, employment, yeah. um, you know, but that's when, when you know there's a problem and then you need help. Yes, and actually at that point, it, it almost doesn't matter what it is. It's about finding a solution, isn't it? Because it is quite yeah. challenging. And I think that's a really, and I think that's a really important point because we, we, we don't have blood tests or scans or, or ways to kind of even kind of broadly diagnose these mental health problems at the moment, let alone kind of categorize them or phenotype them or whatever. So, so we, we have to rely on kind of subjective um, kind of interactions and, and kind of uh, psychiatric reviews and um, mental state examinations and things like this. Um, but I think the, you know, the overall kind of direction it is kind of getting i kind of forgotten where we were going here but but the um <laughs> the, the um yeah something along the overall direction or something <laughs> for reference we were just talking before we press record about when we just start thinking things and then our probably our thoughts go faster than what we can actually get them out at. and it happens you know it almost feels like you just you forgot where you're going you know you lose all you lose all um yeah, well, I think it's interesting because I did say when we talked about it earlier, I said it happens to me quite often, and, and there we go. And um, right on time. <laughs> but I also, I mean, this is a slightly kind of pseudoscience, not that interesting. I don't know much about it, but um, you know, deja vu's are interesting, aren't they? Because that's just mm. a, de a delayed response for kind of the actual information from your eyes are recording in terms of the processing of your brain. So it's not that you're seeing something, but like ahead of time or behind time it's just the processing or the way in which your mind does it and i've always been weirdly quite proud that i've never to my knowledge and i might get this wrong ever had a deja vu <laughs> so you know it, if we're talking if we're talking tech speak then it's it's almost like the there's very little delay in that you know when we, when we talk about if we i don't know send a picture over you know a messaging app onto a phone and we know it goes via a satellite and it comes back down it's very very quick and that's why it's instant it feels instantaneous doesn't it whereas with mm. something like deja vu there'll be a well your eyes will see it but it's almost like you're not realizing you've seen it and then it processes and, and then you realize it don't you which is why it feels delicious. yeah and I, and I think that's what's you know trying to take that broader as well in terms of 
ultimately it's our senses and our experience that that builds our our kind of perception of the world and you know when, when we talk about mental health I don't and they want to bore people but you know we, we tend to use the foundational kind of model of the biopsychosocial models that are biological factors things like your genetics uh, your physical health mm-hmm. and your chronic pain things like that psychological factors you know where you bullied at school did you have good relationships with your parents um, and then social factors are your finances in order mm-hmm. um, do you have a, a job are you got strong relationships and I think the for me, it is interesting. To, you know, we can't change much of the biological factors, and and um, the psychological factors are um, tend to be if they're going to be managed well, they need kind of quite expensive, a relatively kind of psychological intervention, i.e., kind of behavioural therapy, psychoanalysis, ACT, DBT, you know, whatever you name it. But they tend to be if they're going to be done delivered well, they tend to be for now anyway one to one. Kind of and relatively expensive it's mm. the social factors that get me really excited because that's where it's in our normal environment at home at work in the garden going for a jog having a cup of tea mm. that's where we spend most of our lives and if we can make um some small kind of positive behavioral changes around the edges there i think that's um kind of the most exciting space at the moment it might not be you know where all the money is going at the moment it's not as as sexy as as kind of using <laughs> um, psilocybin or, or LSD to try and cure treatment-resistant depression, mm. but I think you know what what I spend a lot of my time is trying to actually package up those small positive behavioural changes and actually making people uh, recognise and engage with, with with that kind of space. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's incredibly exciting, and and it can seem like such small changes, but the the impact they can have is. It's huge, isn't it? I mean, you only have to look at the fact that you can simply spend time somewhere that you don't particularly want to be or that you don't enjoy being with people that you don't particularly enjoy being with. And this can be anyone. And I think I just want to point out this can include family. So people that you know, society tells us we should we should, you know, we, we should love in all these various ways and always enjoy our family and stuff because there's a whole other subject, a whole other realm of stuff on that. But that feeling that you have then versus when you're somewhere you absolutely want to be doing something you love with people that you absolutely love being with you've got two different you've got two completely different experiences haven't you two different emotions and that's all um circumstantial that's all environment isn't it exactly and i think that's what's sad is that because of the way um the capitalist consumer focused world we live in is it's it's hard to package up and sell having a cup of tea or um, going out for a walk or whatever. And as a result, you know, we haven't produced enough products or, or stuff out there that, that can actually direct people towards these quite daily activities that actually can have a huge impact. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree. And I think the, the environment, what is sad is that we, we constantly, uh, we're not even enough time to actually i don't know I, I think if you ask the general population even if you ask myself when was the last time that i really sat down and listed you know the things that make me feel happy and the things mm. that make me feel sad and i actually tried to make a plan to try and go more on the happy side and um but i think the problem is is that the world that we live in at the moment the the attention spans of, of everyone's getting smaller and smaller yeah and the competition for your attention and your engagement is getting greater and greater and i think the and that's where mindful or what I'm working on at the moment is it's actually 
is trying to compete in a in a holistic and and kind of responsible way with that space because we know that ultimately it is Netflix that's competing with whether someone's spending more time going gardening or, or going for a jog after work yeah. or it is Amazon Prime that's you know that, that that's making so you've got to, you've got to try and and that's where I think we spoke maybe before we started the podcast a bit about the NHS and you know it's it's a it's a um, country-wide religion and it's been an incredible institution and will continue to be so but it, it's very much a at the moment a, a reactive kind of um, it's not a, a, an international health service you often hear it's, it's a national illness service that is what it is yes at the moment um, I can't see that changing given the state of kind of public funding and and kind of general kind of motivation so I think it is important that we find that stepping stone kind of in the kind of more social enterprise um, space where we we get to people earlier and we, we focus more on the preventative kind of fitness side of the equation yeah and, and trying to like you say rather than fighting fires trying to stop the fires starting or to make them smaller or to make them more appropriate yeah and I, I like to think I came up with this but I'm sure I probably stole it from somewhere else but you know and, and it is a bit cliched but but you know when, when you're depressed you don't think you deserve help when you're anxious you're too scared to ask for help and when you're psychotic you don't think you need help so like you say when you're in a crisis um well from my point of view when you're in a crisis it's often too late you know you're not going to be the one knocking on the doctor's door so you know these are the types mental health is is very much a space where kind of prevention and getting there first is really important yeah and you know i as, as well as being a coach myself, I'm a personal trainer, so I look at physical strength as well as mental. So it's a really interesting comparison there. But, you know, like you say, if, well, sorry, put them words back in. Asking for help and asking for support, I've always championed as being a strength and being a superpower. To, create, to get strength, we need to repeatedly do things to get strong. So, like you're saying, when you're in that, you know, when you're depressed and you don't think you're worth it and you're not asking for help, the less opportunities you have that feel normal, that feel okay to ask for that help, then we're not going to get stronger at it. So there needs to be absolutely more ways in which, you know, we can do that before it gets, you know, before it gets to a point where, um, you know, it can get really, really serious. Um, for yeah, and I think it's in interesting given your background, um, especially with physical fitness, because... You know, the physical fitness industry is much further ahead. It's a much bigger industry, mm. and um, and that, but and, and often these these kind of areas of growth are driven by the degree of the problems, um, or the at least the awareness and the degree of the problems. And you know, the physical health needs of of people changed massively at the end of the kind of twentieth century because of fast foods, kind of more sedentary lifestyles, mm. um, the modern world, and, and, and that drove that growth in, in physical fitness which has been I mean not all of it is great but overall it's a very um, positive step um, what's interesting from my point of view is is that you know ultimately you know what what is the one bit of us that has that that ability to be conscious and to actually make a decision about my behaviors whether that's going to the gym um, or or um, eating um, less carbs um, or whatever it is, um, it's the mind, and it feels odd. Um, um, but you know, there are strong cultural reasons for why. But the, the why mind the mind has lagged so far behind. And I think for me, it's obviously that there are lots of factors. But the two big factors are that you know the mind is 
is extremely complex. It's quite vacuous. It's very hard to get a grip of. Um, but also, it's it's the people are actually very scared about thinking about the mind. It, it gets a bit too personal for a lot of people. It's too yeah. close to who am I? You know, who, what's my personality? And also, you know, when you actually think about mental illness, it's it's very um, scary and, and it's quite serious. So I think you know that the delay is is there. But I I, I feel I'd be interested to know what you think. Um, with the last certainly you know COVID has accelerated things but then there has been a kind of a real feeling from my point of view over the last 10 20 years of a kind of rising wave of greater awareness mm. um of mental the importance of mental health and i think the next chapter will be turning that awareness and greater understanding into actually doing more for your mind and actually going out into the real world and making changes yeah i, I think you know i think i think there was a word, a term that you used then that I think is a very, a very important part to play in that. And I think it's when we talk about mental health. So I think we've come from a place where mental illness was always a thing and that was what was banded around. And, you know, there was certain ways that that was treated and as medicine's gone on. But once, if we look at mental health and say, well, sometimes my mental health is good, just like sometimes my physical health is good. Sometimes my mental health isn't so good. Sometimes my physical health isn't so good. Now, when it's your physical health, you seek help. You change something. You do something that you know is going to make it better. And we're armed with all this knowledge. And like you say, some of it, you know, some of some of the, especially with the rise of influencers and social media, some of it isn't always conducive to, to good things. Some of it, you know, if used in the wrong way, can, can cause more issues than it's worth. But what we need to see now is a, sh a shift to say, well, actually, my mental health isn't great. So on that scale, then sense tells me I'm going to do things which are going to make it better. Um, but I still think there's still, you're quite right, there's still hanging on to that. There's still the idea that if I talk about my mental health, it says certain things about me. I also feel vulnerable when I talk about it or when I think about it, because then I because then it's very easy to start thinking, well, I'm not enough. You know, um, why am I feeling this and nobody else is? Or, you know, it, you kind of, it can be very easy to get quite insular with that, can't it? And wrap yourself in this in a little bubble, little hole. Um, but the more, I think the more people talk about it as a health thing, not an illness thing, then I think we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with all, all of that. And, and, you know, language is extremely important. Mm. I mean, my concern is, is that for lots of good reasons, um, mental health has now been used kind of almost synonymous with mental illness. So when I'm a psychiatrist in the NHS, I work on mental health units. People have mental health problems. Mm -hmm. So, and, and we're still trying to work that out. We're, we're mindful about the positioning. But, but, you know, for us, there are three main terms, all of which technically totally overlap. Um, so there's, there's mental health, uh, well, there's four terms, mental illness, mental health, um, mental fitness and mental well-being. Yes. And, and we um, personally are advocates of mental fitness and, and we feel mental fitness can take, a, the wellness space is a bit kind of um, wishy-washy, silver bullet, we'll solve all your problems mm -hmm. um, with a bit of smoke and, and mirrors. Obviously, there's some brilliant parts there and they've cracked some of the consumer side of things. Um, the mental health side has all the science and the research and the rigor and it's doing some great stuff but there's so much negativity and stigma there and we want to take the best bits of both of those spaces 
um, and we feel kind of mental fitness can mm. potentially do that. But we'll, we'll, we'll find out as we go along. But I, I do think that also what you were saying there about ultimately we've, it, it is a, um, for me, a, a, a positive behavioral um, change kind of problem. It's, and, and trying to create, get people to do things that are good for themselves is really difficult. Um, mm. You know, most business models work along the lines or some of the easiest business models to make, make money are, are along kind of people being bored, um, people being horny and people being lonely. Those are the three kind of problems that kind of get people spending money quite quickly. Yes. Um, and actually getting out of bed to go for a job that might in 10 years time reduce your chance of depression by 0.02%. It's not such an interesting or compelling story. It's not um, sexy. <laughs> so, so, so what we're trying to do at the moment, I do think the measurement piece is really big. So you can never talk about the individual, obviously, with data and, and stuff like that. But if you can prove that actually when you spend, um, so we've identified at the moment 100 top kind of mental wellness ideas. Mm. And if we can charge certain and kind of members of our community who are using and actually doing things in the real world and recording that. And if we can show over a sustained period of time that their overall mental well-being is improving, and we so if we can say things like, you know, if you use the mindful app or if you're doing an extra hour a week for your mental well-being, whatever that activity mm -hmm. is, your um, overall well-being score increases by X, and in 10 years' time, your chance of that suddenly becomes much more compelling. Um, and actually, some apps have managed to do that already, the likes of Headspace and Calm, yeah. but very specifically to do with meditation and sleep. What we're more interested in is actually the real world where we're doing lots of other things, and there are many more increments across the board that you can kind of get, get involved. Yeah, I mean, really effective tool in the fitness industry. You've got anything that's gamified. So, I mean, it very quickly started with, you know, Apple watches with the rings and closing the rings. The idea is to close the rings. And that means, you know, the guy that gets the idea of, well, I've been successful today. So the predetermined goals then met and you get a nice colorful ring. And, you know, that's a really, really nice way. I think if the goals are set, right. I think that's a really nice way. to yeah, do it. And, and, you know, Duolingo has done that really well as well. Yeah. But, but we totally, um, you know, it, and this is what's important. So for us, we spend a lot of time thinking about, um, you know, it's interesting that we're a, we're a digital solution, um, mm. uh, that, but also we, we totally, you know, have issues around social media and, and the digital space as a whole. So we spend a lot of time thinking about that line. Um, you know, so from the gamification line, for example, we've taken a view that we, we're very happy to do it, but in quite a gentle way. So we mm. um, have to give badges. So a bit like the scouts. So yes. if, you would, if you actually do one of our activities in the real world, oh, sorry about that. Um, I'll just ignore, you can take that out, can't you, Bobby? It's all right, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> it might go again. Um, uh, so yeah, we, we basically gone down, our branding and our whole positioning is about all being very accessible and community driven. It feels a bit like a grown up version of the Scouts or um, mm. where, we will give a so if you actually go out and jump into a into a river and do your first cold swimming thing and you take a picture of you with your towel or you take a picture of the river and we have some social proof then we will allocate you um, our badge and we spend quite a lot of money on the art design. So what's right. interesting about, for example, the Apple ones, for example, there's not they're not massive achievements often, 
they're quite step forward. But Apple have produced something really beautiful, so people want it. Yes. And so that so that I find really interesting. So we've lent a bit on how Apple have done that. Mm. Um, and we also think a lot about you know social media for us. There's still not definitive data out yet. There's early signs that you know sustained use of social media by people certainly in the early teens going through does have impacts in terms of anxiety and depression, but it, it's still not definitive. But um, we intrinsically feel that this seeking cycle of constantly being on an app where you're looking for something um, and actually not actually doing anything yourself. Um, so it's actually just always looking at what other people are achieving is intrinsically not good for, for the mind. And we, we feel that quite strongly. So we talk about fulfillment cycles where we almost create I would argue, a kind of positive scrolling experience. So we have these 100 different ideas. People can scroll through them and quite quickly find something um, that is of interest to them and then get back into the real world. So it's about, the, the loop is about them actually going back into the real world and doing something. And, that, and that's really important to us. No, I complete, completely get that because it's too easy to get hooked in something. And, and the way that social media, especially social media works and apps, you know, and, and games and things like that, they're all you know, they want to keep you engaged because that's essentially how, you know, we're, we're in a world now where a lot of games are free. So therefore you make money from the advertising, which means the more you play, the more you, this, you see the adverts, the more money gets, gets generated. And as a business model, you see exactly that working, but you're right. It's that prompt to get back out into, into nature, into the real world and kind of. Yeah. And I think it's really hard because from a business model point of view or in terms of raising money or whatever, like there is a, you know, if you're looking at those direct consumer apps or websites, um, you know, the, the investors are looking for what they would term sticky users, and those are people who are coming back multiple times a day. And it really incentivizes this kind of candy crush, I suppose, is a good example as well. So, yeah, we, we um, are very careful of, about that. And because myself and my co founder, James, both have bipolar and over 50% of our workforce openly talk about their own mental illness and stuff like that, like we're, you know, that keeps us very focused and very, we have very clear lines. But I think as we get bigger and whatever, I think it's very important to, to write these things down and be kind of accountable to certain standards. Um, so it's a very important um, point. It's going to be a very interesting journey to see how that works because, as you say, as, as you grow, you've got your purpose as a company and you've got, you know, your ethos and, and why you were created. But then sometimes you can find yourself drifting into actually what's going to work better for us. And if somebody comes back, then there's certain things that work better, you know, in terms of the success, the growth. But actually what you're trying to do is get people off. I was just going to mention, have you seen an app called Finch? Finch? Yeah. I don't think I have actually, no. no. So I remember as a kid, I used to love Tamagotchis and Cyber Pets and, and that all. Yeah, thing. yeah. And I, came, I, can't remember how, I can't remember how I came across Finch. But anyway, the idea of it is that you hatch a small bird. Now you can color that bird, whatever you want, and you can call it whatever you want. Now, the idea to earn points for the bird to go out and explore the world, and then it comes back, it comes back and it talks to you about what it's found and it's quite cute and it's, you know, it's very cuddly and stuff. But the way that you do that isn't by playing games, it's by doing work on yourself. So what I found really interesting about that was it might say, right, you can earn five points by putting down five goals for the day or, you know, reflecting on how today's gone or what you're looking forward to this week. Or I'll give you some prompts, but then you can put your own stuff in as well. Um, and then that bird ages, it grows. Yeah, yeah. that sounds beautiful. I, I love yeah. it. I'm going to look it up straight after this. Because yeah. um, I think that's also the element that, you, that I see a lot in the space 
particularly because I'm, you know, my background is more mental health, yeah, clinical psychiatry side is that there's a lot of great, the fundamentals are quite simple, but I think a lot of from the science health side don't recognize how hard it is to create something that people actually want to use. And, and when I hear, um, like me actually creating, a, you know, I, I grew up with tannin as well. Yeah. And, you know, that, that, you know, that gets, that gets you at the heart. And that's what we talk a lot about with our products. It's got to be lovable. It's got to be something that people want to come back to for, for the right reasons and actually get a kind of a warmth from it. Yeah. And I think the, yeah, that, that, that idea sounds fantastic. I mean, in a very crude way, I suppose, the only way we're kind of doing that at the moment is with this idea of collecting your own badges. So it's a bit like if you know how, you know, some people used to like sew all their badges onto the back of their um, jacket or something. Suddenly you've created something quite meaningful and deep. Yes. And um, we actually at the moment are, are exploring ways of doing some, because we're so, you know, important to keep it offline most of the time. Like we are actually creating some badges so to some of our top users. We can actually send them the real Brilliant. thing. And I love just, that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting you said that as well because I'm actually a Cub Scout leader. So I'm involved in the Scouts and, you know, we do talk about the badges and and sometimes, and actually what the challenge is for us at the moment is the badges aren't that meaningful. So it's, you know, and we're, we're having that challenge. So we're kind of trying to reverse that and going, well, actually what's within the badges, you know, doing the work. So that was just... Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We better have a chat about that afterwards. <laughs> I think we should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we should. Yeah, yeah. and... and Oh, the only other thing on the app as well, by the way, this this episode is not sponsored by this app or anything. I will mention them because I think it's a very important point that there are people out there doing stuff like this, is notifications as well on phones. And notifications can be brilliant, but they can also be, I mean, I've got at the moment, I've got LinkedIn coming up on my notifications and I can't swipe it off my notification board. And that really frustrates me. I can't get rid of it. So it's sat there. Um, yeah. I think it must be a setting I've got somewhere because I've turned it off before, <laughs> but then it's 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 all changed. But well, maybe when, if, if if you use it, maybe they you have to pay premium to be able to turn that off. Ooh, yeah, I don't know. Now that would be tricky, wouldn't it? I would, that wouldn't put it past anybody, but no. that would be a tricky one. Um, to make your phone ad free, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. But what, what um, was my point that I was making when uh, the the what's nice about the Finch ones is it'll just come up with a notification saying I miss you. Or are you okay? Or how's your day going? And it's almost like yeah. a little friend. And it's like sometimes just that can be a nice little prompt to, you know, have a look at the app and maybe have a look and review the goals that you've put down there or, you know, create something. And, and the more that you write, the more points you get. And it's just a, a yeah. nice way of gamifying it, I think. Yeah, and I think it just taking it back again to the, the values and the mission and what, why you're doing things, I think it... Um, I don't know, for me, it hasn't felt very hard to find that line because, you know, our, our mission is, is to get a, over a million people to have created their own wellness routine. Because most, if you ask most people down the street, you know, what's your wellness routine? They wouldn't even know where to begin, you know. So, we, so there's a big education piece there. But ultimately, if we can create an app that engages people enough and keeps them engaged long enough to have collected their own six badges, which they are actually doing in the real world, you know, that... that and I think for me, that's quite a um, fundamental, you know, that that can be delivered. Like we might find that our business model pitches more towards, so at the moment we're doing more workplace well-being, for example. Mm. So the app is more, is will always uh, be focused direct to consumer. We feel that the, the interaction for any kind of 
end user needs to be directed towards them and it yeah. needs to be independent of any kind of work or whatever it needs to be your own experience with the app to, to develop your own wellness routine but what we do is we, we we produce the app and then we also add extra talks and um courses and support to the institution or the or the business or the partner so that they can actually make the cultural change so that people actually are you know, more engaged with their wellness so they actually use the app um, and i don't and I suppose I, need, I don't want to sound flippant here, but, but I think, you know, the core, I suppose the core premise for us is, is, you know, what comes also with a wellness routine is the fact that there are many different things that you can do and, and, it's, and it's different for every individual. And what's interesting from our point, my point of view, particularly because I had a physics degree before I did medicine, is that um, when you have a hundred different ideas, so if you, if you start at the start line with a mm. hundred different ideas and you start trialing trialing through trial and error kind of maybe 10 of them mm-hmm. and by the end of that you've collected five so heart one and one and two you collect just a, just a crude example but you end up with billions of different permutations you, so you you could have gone billions of different ways to have found your five yes. so that means really that we can create something really personalized and so for me it's this these core premises of the, of the product as long as they stay true I don't, I don't really mind about how we find the market adoption or the distribution or the business model. As long as we deliver something to someone that, that ultimately means that they can start doing more for their mind, yes. that's kind of it almost as simple as that. But, um, but I, it is, um, and, and I think because we are quite kind of mission-led because of our background, James and I, um, it doesn't ever feel like there's too much conflict between the commercial and yeah and the product side but it is it is a it is a hard line yeah yeah i, I can imagine and you know i think you're right there it's it's almost as simple as helping assist people to find the things that make them feel good exactly and encouraging them to do more and maybe getting a little reward out of it so that it feels like you've been on this personal journey and you know and however that's done that's the that's the trick isn't it that's that's the tricky bit trying to find out the best way to to get that to happen yeah and i think slowly but surely you can start to firm up some of those core um you know um foundations and, and we do have you know whether it's about personalization kind of routine kind of broad you know we have we have um we have many of those kind of core principles in place but you know you really start with a problem and a solution and a black box in the middle and you're kind of slowly but surely trying to try but as long as the the solution the solution remains the same you know we're still working to and, and it's it so yeah i mean for me it, it's a it's a wonderful i mean it's been really hard so basically in the next few weeks um i'm stepping back from working as a psychiatrist i'm stopping working for the nhs after about five years wow. and um that that's been hard because i I get nothing, no more kind of energy and reward from my patients and being able to feel like I can make a small difference. Um, mm. uh, so it's been a hard, hard decision and I, I will go back um, and I've managed to justify it because I, I genuinely believe that by being an entrepreneur for a few years, I will come back to the NHS a more valuable um, and kind of kind of proposition. Um, so yeah it's been quite hard but equally 
you know, when I do do my work on Mindful at the moment, you know, outside of my normal hours, it doesn't feel like work. Even when I'm writing quite generic emails or chasing people or paying bills or whatever, it, it feels like I'm, I mean, obviously it's incorrect, but it feels like, for me, I firmly believe that that is going, that little bit of work there will at some point have an impact on someone's um, overall, uh, on their mental well-being, And, and that's, I, and I feel that very strongly, and I, maybe that's, um, you know, that, that I suppose one has to believe that, but it, but it comes very naturally to me. Yeah, and it's, it, what was interesting for me is when you said that you managed to justify leaving by kind of knowing that when you go away and being an entrepreneur and that you can then come back as a, a more valuable proposition, it's interesting that we feel that you have to justify that because actually what you've done, if we go back to logic, and this is where I think, there's a, a point I've been waiting to say, but not, you know, not knowing when to say it. When we look at medicine and we look at um, science, and obviously you come from a physics background as well, everything's about numbers and the formulas and, and things. We know if we do certain things, certain things happen. When we look at mental health, it's there's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of feelings in there, which you can't quite quantify. You can put scales of one to 10 and you can do all these measures, which help, you know, which help orient, you know, orient us towards different things but knowing that you're stepping away from a role where you're obviously passionate at helping people so you see those one-to-one people and you know you're having an effect on their life to then the premise of hoping that you are able to help somebody because you're not seeing that face-to-face but the idea of the product that you're building is to reach millions of people mm. you know and I, I just want I don't know whether you see that or I just wanted to point it out because that's a huge yeah. mission to undertake and you know the value in that is incredible i think it's just difficult when you're moving from face to face to the idea of yeah i mean i think what you've said is kind of what i tell myself a lot and i think that is the way to think about it and um, i do but i do think there's a, a more immediate kind of problem which is you know we we don't have enough doctors we don't have enough healthcare professionals yes um the state has spent a lot of money on me to be trained and for them to start even try and change the numbers it's going to take another probably 10 years so there are very real star shortages in the NHS yes. at the moment um so that would be the more the response to that but I think the the response to what I've just said is that um the, the government aren't going to start fund enough places um, these things aren't going to change and the NHS is too much of a bear moth too bureaucratic yeah. um too reactive um and too willing to kind of settle for second rate kind of provision of care. Um, And that's been the hardest thing for me is increasingly finding myself having to, almost just as a standard, just apologize to a patient before I even start to say, I'm so sorry it's been such a long wait, or I'm so sorry that um, the admin or the letter never got sent to you, or I'm so sorry. And I think that's kind of what's been grating. And I think the frustrations and the problems of the NHS are not gonna be solved from the inside personally they mm-hmm. will be partly they will not be solely solved from the inside and i think i uh, by uh, we need innovation and disruption all these types of words and, and by that i don't mean necessarily private sector but we just need critical minds um kind of objectively mm-hmm. looking in on the nhs and i so that's how i and i think that will be the way in which we solve these kind of even more pressing issues around you know, you've probably seen the stats out just a few days ago about 
the number of people who've died on waiting lists as a result of COVID. You know, COVID happened. We would we were never prepared to to kind of to, to deal with it. But the numbers are, are shocking, and and the millions of people waiting on waiting lists. Um, and you know, and this is you know very real. And I think we do need to be careful with the NHS. Look, I love it. I I um, it's an unbelievable kind of vision and an idea, but it has it, it, it's struggling uh, to to keep up. And I think the we need to be able to be critical of it to be able to improve it. And and yes. and, and I think just by being critical of it doesn't mean that that, that, that we need to get rid of it either. Yeah. You know, um, it's become too much. You know, I, I've always felt a bit awkward when I mean it was yeah again this is just my opinion, but I was I was working in A and E some of the time during uh, COVID during the first lockdown when things were probably quite felt quite scary, and you know everyone was clapping their saucepans and stuff like that, and it felt great. But there is a, a risk of the NHS getting away with too much because of um, kind of cultural and societal beliefs about it. Yeah, I mean the the fact that you just said then that you're finding yourself taking it almost having to apologise for something that you're, you're almost apologizing for the system because the system has failed them based on the expectation that's been set, right? So, you know, that automatically starts that interaction in quite a negative tone. And it, and it also cements to the person that's come in that they are a victim of something, that they are poorly, that they need help. So, and what strikes to me then is when you're dealing with mental health, sometimes it could be someone that's being proactive and actually coming in to, to try and you know solve some of this stuff or to try and work through some of this stuff. And that's that's the last thing that you want to be creating, isn't it, as a as an environment. Um and yeah. you know when you when you talk about the the NHS, now the only way that I can see things changing is actually because it is such a big organization, it's almost like the idea of trying to turn the Titanic. How how long would it have taken to turn and pivot? What they call pivot in the in the in the yeah, business yeah. world, don't they? Because it is so big, and, and we've got the same with local, you know, local authorities, councils. They're such big and interwebbed, you know, um, organisations that it's difficult for them to make major change. But then all of a sudden, you get things like Mindful, and you get people like yourself that are visionaries that are wanting to to be passionate and to follow those values, coming in and saying, "Hey, this is what we've got. We can save you the time and money, and we can offer, we can like work with you on this." Yeah. You know, and third parties and starting to outsource, and all of a sudden you get. Well, it's still the NHS, but then you've just got good referral, you know, pathways. Yeah, and there's some brilliant examples of stuff like even like excluding the digital kind of all scope. But you know, there are lots of wonderful organisations. I always bring up. Um, there's a, an organisation called Camp Hill. Uh, uh, so you know, you might have heard of Steiner Schools. These are German kind of um, educationalists who kind of had very interesting views on how to educate people and help okay. people also with learning disabilities. And they have about I don't know, 20 um, kind of centres for people learning disabilities across the country. I went to one of them the other day because um, a, a relative of mine actually happens to, to be there. And uh, I was just blown away at the quality of care, the community. I mean, it was just miles apart from mm. an LD centre that the NHS would be providing itself. And what is good is, is that, you know, the NHS does, I think, need to use it a bit like Tesco's might use it. it's it's kind of buying power with spinach or whatever but they um <laughs> they are actually so half I found out half the beds are funded by the NHS and 
So there are ways, and I do think this integration mm. with the charitable sector, social enterprise, um, private sector, but just this openness just to, to, to innovate quality and, and, and moving forward. I think the, and it, the problem is, is, is that it's very hard to, a lot of the NHS, it hears the words um, private or kind of new initiative or whatever, and they're, they're kind of get turned off. Um, but, but, but I suppose, I suppose the last point on this is that there is actually quite a lot going on and there are a lot of, there are a lot of mindfuls, there are a lot of mm -hmm. camp hills, um, but there's just a hell of a lot more to, to be doing. It's what's screaming to me there is almost the idea of the NHS, the thing that is designed to help actually being empowered to ask for help. There's almost this feeling that it doesn't want to because it is the thing that helps. And I think on an individual level, we can feel that. So is yeah. it not, you know, a victim of its own? Yeah. So interestingly, I've, I've got a very close family member who's very senior and who was very senior in management in the NHS. Yes. And uh, he, uh, the one thing I used to lobby him about was um, about getting, putting more money into the people, leadership and management, because at the NHS, it's always on the cold face. There's never any investment in, in actually stepping back, reflecting, resetting, putting in new systems. It's all on, off the hoof. And anything that is done in terms of innovation or um, stuff is often quite kind of um, tick box. So, for example, as a foundation trainee or, or a trainee doctor, for example, you have to do an audit um, once a year. So the audit is about kind of looking at a specific part of your service, um, recording of how some data and then saying how does that do compared with another hospital or another area right but it's it, it never there's never the time or the energy or the continuity of support for the, any findings or insights to ever be integrated from my experience it's all just a process of saying oh we are doing some innovation we are doing mm -hmm. there's no follow-through um and i think a lot of that's because of poor leadership and kind of lack of and a lack of investment in mm -hmm kind of in the, in how management and so at the moment also last point uh, <laughs> is that there's a massive divide between kind of senior clinicians and management so most clinicians whether they're nurses or senior nurses senior doctors uh, pharmacists whatever put their noses down to management they see their clinical work as the be all and end all and it, and it is of course extremely important but it doesn't actually allow for very kind of scalable um, provision of, mm. of, of your skill set. And so you very rarely see in the UK um, clinicians taking senior leadership roles within trusts, within CCGs or whatever. Mm. Um, and they tend, and therefore you don't get a very good kind of interaction there. And there's been a load of data coming up, usually particularly in America, um, not, not the best system, but they have looked at organizations because they're much more scattered. You can look at this much closer. They've looked at organizations that are run by um, doctors or nurses, um, i.e. like CEOs of, yeah. of these organizations, and their performance is, is way better. So I do think that's probably from my point of view, in terms of one silver bullet or one area to try and is, is the leadership and management of the NHS workforce, which at the moment is pretty non-existent. That's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about it like that, but yeah, absolutely. Just making that the case and, and having more people that have, I suppose, on the ground experience of some of the things that are going on, they, that will drive 
things like innovation, wouldn't it? It would drive all these all these creative things happening rather than thinking it, you know, man versus man, um, or woman versus woman, or whatever. <laughs> um, okay, so here's where I throw a question at you then. So two things. One, if there's anybody that is... Okay, if there's one thing that you could say to somebody, and let's go with the... Let's go with the mental health route. Okay, so if there's anybody that is feeling, I don't know, feeling at a loss at to where to get support or how to, you know, how to, to carry on with stuff and how to feel positive, is there any general advice? Yeah, I think from the mental or... health perspective or in terms of kind of people who are struggling, um, I mean, the obvious thing we've, we've touched on it is you know, ask for help. Um, it's often the illness that is skewing your perception of things. And actually people yes. generally, one, if they're well, they can say no if they, if they want to, to your offer, to you asking for help. And two, they'll probably actually feel really proud that you could actually ask them for help. People, so, so the risks are pretty low. And so my, that would be my advice is, you know, asking for help. Um, you know, do it, do that. And if you're if you're not feeling able to do that, then I think from a mood point of view, which covers quite a lot of disorders, I, I mentioned it before. Moodscope.com is a wonderful community for people who struggle with particular depression, but also bipolar um, and anxiety. And I think it's a very useful tool. Um, and those would be the two uh, main things I would, I would say. Perfect. I love that. And very, very, very easy. Well, not easy. Let's take away these. It's very simple and maybe low risk things to do. I think you said low risk, and that was a really important point. Yeah, and I think I think it's also good to take. I mean, often when you're in a, in a bad mental state, you're 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 feeling very negative about yourself. So it feels like you're. It's important to re, you know to, to remember that it, it's actually something that most people feel really yeah thankful to be asked, and it's something that for me I get asked more than I used to because of what I do now. But but for me, it's always just the most kind of wow, they actually want my help about how their mental health. How amazing is that? Yes. It's almost thinking past. Sometimes we get this feeling of, I don't want somebody else to have to help me. And actually there are more people that want to help and that will exactly. feel that want and feel that love and that passion just to be able to help as well. So I think that's important as well. Um, now we know I'm obsessed with superheroes. I'm currently sat here in the in the cosmos. I don't know which universe I'm in or whatever. Um, if you could have any superpower, lightening the load a little bit, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? And what would you use it for? More importantly. I should have thought about this more before because I knew this question was coming. Um, this is why I like just dropping questions just out of the blue. <laughs> um, I mean, my superpower. Um, would be around the kind of being able to, and it's going to be a bit, a bit um, obvious, but, but yeah, to be able to read people's minds, I suppose. Oh, that's, that's the fourth time someone said read oh, minds. Oh, God. And the other one said read emotions. But I'd be interested to see, what would you use that power for? Yeah, so you'd have to be very careful with it, obviously. We would yeah. have come great responsibility. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, um, I mean, I think there are certain... Um, I mean, it would. I think you could use it pretty directly in your in clinical um, yes. settings. Actually, um, I think there are 
but I think in, in reality, obviously, ethically and morally, it would be, it would be pretty tricky. Um, so I think really, if I actually go for a more practical superpower, yes. um, it would be uh, to, I've always struggled a bit in the mornings, but I would love to be one of those people who wakes up at seven in the morning mm -hmm. and just bounds out of bed. If I could have that for, for a year or two, that would be that. Oh, that's a very that's a very nation specific superpower, Mister Morning. I can just say yeah. That now. Exactly. <laughs> no, you can make a Mister Mister Man out of me, or <laughs> then. I mean that that could be one of the badges, right? Absolutely. There we go. Um, if anyone wants to kind of follow what you guys are up to, so yourself or whether it's mindful, how can you do so? You can mention that if you want. Sorry. So if anyone wants to find out a bit more about mindful, uh, yeah. or yourself, Sorry. what you're up to, how can they do so? Yeah, so uh, best thing probably is to go to our website. So it's, it's um, Mindful, and that's mindefuel.com. And um, at the moment, we, we have the um, app out on iOS. So if you've got an Apple phone, get it there. But Android will be coming out in two or three months' time. And we're actually, if you, we're about to launch V2 of the iOS with some big kind of changes in about a week's time. So if you hold off, um, it'll be looking even smarter. Well, I'm sat on the edge of my seat waiting for the Android one because uh, I haven't got an Apple. So I'll, I'll wait no, for I don't, I don't either. It's the most annoying <laughs> thing ever. But anyway. You're going for the market share. Which one, which one have people got more of? <laughs> well, interestingly, more, more downloads with Android, but um, in, like total, um, you know, in, in the UK, but, mm. but in terms of the wellness space, uh, much more um, Apple. I think that says a lot about you know, social economic class and stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Another, another, yeah, another interesting point that we've spoken about today, Nick. So um, if anybody, and it's just there, so if anyone's watching, you can see the web address there, but if anyone wants to see more about the stuff I do, the YouTube stuff, the podcast stuff, catch other episodes of this podcast. So this is in the late thirties now. I think this is number 38 or 39. Why I can't remember that right now, I don't know, but there are lots more for you to go through all different conversations. So, but you can do, if you're just listening, it's www.imdoingitfor dot me okay and thank you very much for your time nick that's been an absolute pleasure it's been real really easy and just such a joy to, to chat matt so thank you no you are absolutely welcome and for everyone listening stay tuned for next time and stay super <laughs>